I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know, it's got a really awesome stag logo. What, what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. That is me, with me as always, super producer extraordinaire, Brandon Newman. Brandon, what's going on? Nothing much, Mike. Happy to be here on a Tuesday. What you got for us today? Uh, we got a great show uh, for everybody today here. Um, a lot of news about the San Francisco 49ers out here. So Rob Guerrera, who is a podcast host over at the Gold Standard 49ers Podcast Network, uh, stats uh, known from my ESPN days, used to work with my dad on Mike and Mike, is going to stop by and give us a little outlook on one of the teams that just lost this weekend. Mike, there's a there's a fan on that I have to turn off. All right, you can turn that fan off, Brandon. I wanted to ask you before we got to any of that, though. Um, what text message have you gotten? A text message recently, and I feel like as a married person, there's a pretty high chance of this that just sort of derails your day because it forces you to think about something that you like hadn't hadn't really comprehended in a while. Oh my gosh, Mike! Michelle hit me with one of those today, talking about how much we're paying for this new daycare in, in, in uh, Florida, but she compiled that with what we're eating for dinner and something else. And I was like, this is all just too much. So yeah, that's the perfect way to think about it because it was sort of like a pill pocket when you're trying to give a pill to a dog. And so you wrap it in a bunch of other things and then you drop yes. that in the middle of it. I was sitting around today in my family's group chat and People were talking about stuff for the Super Bowl, and my brother was talking about how Gardner Minshew could potentially win a Super Bowl ring as the backup quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. Ah, and yeah. then the conversation of those pictures of the Kelseys, as we've talked about the Eagles and the Chiefs, the first brothers to play each other in the Super Bowl, Jason and Travis Kelsey, who both were teammates at the University of Cincinnati together back in the day. And the NFL's main Twitter account sent out the picture of the two of them in their uniforms. And out of nowhere, my brother just tweeted, my brother who played tight end at Notre Dame, we were all, you know, we were teammates there at Notre Dame together, goes, I just realized that Mike and I are the food stamp version of Travis and Jason Kelsey. Oh, <laughs> 
and and that one really stopped me in my tracks and reminded me of what my life path had been like as opposed to the life path of two people very similar but much like I always said we were the Costco brand long family because Howie played in the NFL and was a Hall of Famer at D-line my dad played in the NFL for nine years but was certainly not a Hall of Famer you've got Kyle who's one of the most freakish that is true that is true throw that throw that in there two radio hall of fames actually and then you've got you know kyle and chris who are both freaks of nature top end first round draft picks and uh then you've got me and jake scholarships i i like the idea of the food stamp version because you need it uh it's not that it's not great it's just not it's not gourmet you know what i mean It, it, it some of some of the things there the government is allowing to give you for free, you know, subsidized in, in sorts. And uh, and also, Jake played tight end at Cincinnati as well, so that, I just can't get that out of my brain yeah. either. <laughs> the crossovers are really unnerving. And again, if you spend too long thinking about it, you're going to oh, feel kind of sad. And so we won't do that. Instead, we will ask you guys to download, subscribe, rate, and review our podcast, not the Kelsey Brothers podcast. Although, do that one too. They're good podcasts, and we want to see everybody sure. succeed. Leave us a five-star yeah. rating. Leave us a review. And check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel as well. Uh, speaking of Super Bowls, Mike, uh, we're getting to the dry area. So time to bring up... Today in sports history. Oh, wow. All right. Interesting. I I enjoy Brandon Newman, who will occasionally, randomly, and in no way, like structurally, bring up either random holidays on a given day or the random sports day fact of the day. So what do you got, Brandon? Mike, this one just, just hits perfectly. Uh, on today, January 31st, 1988, you were you were. You weren't born, you were cooking at this point in time, right? Yeah. Um, okay, okay. Yeah, around that time. I would have been born in September. So, yeah, maybe in that range. Yes, yes, of course. Okay. Um, the Washington R-Words scored 35 points in the second quarter to overcome a 10-point deficit to beat the Denver Broncos 42-10 to in the Super Bowl. MVP Doug Williams passed for four touchdowns and recorded 340 yards passing. And I just wanted to put that out there because obviously Doug Williams, one of the first prominent black quarterbacks that the NFL ever saw, uh, first black quarterback to win a Super Bowl. I don't need to fact check that. I'm pretty sure that's the, the case. And no, then obviously we get these, and obviously we have, there are two black quarterbacks starting for the first time in Super Bowl history. So when I saw that in today's sports history, I was like, you know what? This works for today. No, big time. And you saw earlier this year, I think they did a piece on the Eagles lineage of black quarterbacks. You know, you go all the way back to Randall Cunningham, Donovan McNabb, Michael Vick, that's led to this point. So yeah, absolutely a a culmination for a time where being a black quarterback in the league is really part of almost the majority at this point when you look around at a lot of the faces that are quarterbacking in this league. Uh, alumni of, of uh, Grambling State, one of the first HBCU, obviously quarterbacks uh, in the in the NFL. So he he did a lot. He did a lot for all of us. So um, yeah, shout out to Doug Williams. I think I remember uh, hearing Bomani and Dominique talk on the right time about the measure of true equality is when you've got journeyman black quarterbacks, and so Josh Johnson's presence in that game this weekend also sign of progress in its own way yes yes I, I i do like that's why i've always uh, uh felt uh close to tyrod taylor and always hated the chargers for whatever the doctor did to him 
Oh, yeah, that's still ongoing with the punctured lung. Um, Brandon, speaking of injuries to quarterbacks, um, man, we talked Ooh. about the quarterback situation yesterday, made a bunch of content talking about the 49ers and the predicament they had going into this offseason. That just got even tougher as we got the news yesterday that Brock Purdy suffered a, tor- a torn ulnar collateral ligament in his throwing elbow, the injury that took him out of the game, brought him back into the game, but rendered him pretty much unable to throw. And now the quarterback situation for the Niners looks like this. Field Yates, ESPN NFL analyst, put this out. Brock Purdy facing a six-month recovery from a torn UCL. Trey Lance rehabbing from a second ankle surgery expected back by OTAs. And Jimmy Garoppolo set to become a free agent. It is hell out here. Brandon, um... Somehow it seems like things went from bad to worse this season for the 49ers. How screwed are these guys? I I would say they're more screwed, but it's the same territory they've been in for quite some time, right? Like, not really sure where they're going to do a quarterback. Uh, have a lot of solid pieces all around that quarterback on offense and defense. Probably more solidified than not with Christian McCaffrey over there. But maybe he even co- complicates things because of how well he had that one snap at quarterback during the uh, NFC Championship game, Mike. I don't know what's going to happen over there. But like I said, it's status quo because everyone's looking at Trey Lance, expecting things. I think Brock Purdy can kind of sit back and we can forget about him for a little bit like we do with Gardner Minshew. And, you know, we're going to have to really think about how good he is or isn't until we're forced to think about him again. But uphill battle i the fact that the 49ers may still have to spend money on a quarterback for insurance leading into next season it's pretty sad we'll get into more of the 49ers plans and what they should do this offseason when stats joins us in a little bit on the podcast here i want to save a lot of the 49ers talk for that but i bring up the injury portion of this brandon in the immediacy to also kind of have this as a reminder, because you saw plenty of people getting awful bold Sunday night during that, your Sunday uh, afternoon during that game, talking about Brock Purdy and the fact that he went back in later on when Josh Johnson was hurt. Why didn't he go mm-hmm. back in before? All these different things that were kind of taking shots and hints at his toughness. And this is really the 24-hour news cycle, the Twitterfication of conversations like this, whatever have you, of everyone being so eager and wanting to react immediately to all this stuff. Like, the football version of this, watching the opening drive of a game, I always sort of recuse myself from commentary on what a game's going to look like through the first couple of drives because they're scripted plays. It's all of your best material. These coaches plan out what they're going to do for like the 10 to 15 openers, the opening plays. And so when it looks really good, that's the point. And if sometimes if it doesn't, that's also the point is you haven't gotten into the actual chess match of the game as these people go back and forth. And so often when we get these knee-jerk reactions off the first drive, it ends up looking silly pretty early on after. The same thing goes with stuff like this, especially in this kind of violent sport. To sit and take shots at the toughness of any of these players before we know the full scope of what's going on with these and what kind of injuries these guys may have actually been playing through the entire time. We spent so much time talking about Patrick Mahomes ankle talking about the um you know the groin injury for Lane Johnson for the Philadelphia Eagles and so the right. fact that some people were willing to get froggy and it wasn't everybody but man if you did shame on you and how f-ing dumb do you have to feel right now seeing on the back end oh yeah the guy had basically torn the ligament that leads pitchers to get Tommy freaking John surgery and still went back in that game when it came down to it to try and help his team 
Yeah, that, this is where uh, all the players that are now on Twitter are not are sitting at home watching Twitter and the game for the first time uh, while other teams are playing. They look at football fans on Twitter sideways because, like, what are y'all talking about? What are you looking at? Because if anyone saw Brock Purdy during this season, you would know that he's a bit of an ass kicker. He's a bit of a tough guy. He's a bit of a get out there and figure it out. Like, when I saw him go back into the game, all I thought was all shit. Like, this can't be good. Like he, he well, clearly like he he was very calm and stoic and I was like he's nervous because he knows he should not be out there but he has they have no other uh, uh, they have no other way they have no one to turn to Brandon he was the last pick in the draft do you think he feels like he's got job security like do people really think oh yeah Brock Purdy's in the business of turning down work when you're picked where he is you're thinking everything can be your last no matter how good it's gone yeah. and this is i i mean I think the experience of anyone who's been through something like that. Again, I was an undrafted free agent. My dad was, I believe, a 10th or 11th round draft pick back when they went back that far. You never think, oh, yeah, my job is set on this team. And so even for Brock Purdy, who did all of these great things over the course of the season, you think he felt good doing that? Like, fuck, I remember my last year at Notre Dame. I, I always now... Like you talk about the injuries former players relate to when guys get stingers, it always makes me sort of like smile because it's the thing you kind of hope for because guys can come back in from that. It's not something that's debilitating, right. but it's pretty right. painful in the moment. And we saw Fred Warner leave the game early in the NFC championship game for what was believed to be a stinger. And then he came back in and I always laugh because the running joke for me in practice, I used to get those all the time. My last year when I was finally starting at Notre Dame and I would be out there and I would just kind of yell through it. And the trainer would look over at me or look over at Braxton, one of my other line mates. And they'd be like, is he good? Does he need to come out? And they'd be like, oh no, he just does this. This is what he does. Because I was afraid if I ever left the field, someone was going to go in and I wasn't going to go back to that job. And so Brock Purdy's not that many standard deviation points from being the last pick in the draft all over again who hadn't played most of this season. And if you think that guy's going to give that up easily, you just don't understand the mindset of people in that position, even if he is a quarterback. Yeah, I, I mean... I can speak to that too, Mike. When I first started traveling in a, any real way at Notre Dame, I had, I think I turned, I tore or pulled my groin and the medical staff at Notre Dame, God bless them. They were like, listen, we're not going to tell the coaches. We're going to wrap you up. We're going to make sure you travel. We're going to X, Y, and Z. And I had to play against Army in Yankee Stadium the first time I played at all at, at University of Notre Dame. And we're watching the film the next Sunday and coach Elston, the D line coach is watching the film. He's like, Newman, are you, are you hurt? And I was like, well, a little bit coach. <laughs> just, just a little bit. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the things that most people would never know and that you can't admit when you're out there. Cause once you're out there, you're there. And however got you right. there, we see it happen all the time. It happened with Baker Mayfield last year. We almost did it with Jalen hurts this weekend where he's airmailing some passes and we forget he's got a banged up shoulder. So it, it's the difficulty in that position that always is interesting to watch people judge. In its own way, it was kind of the story we talked about, too, with what happened with Joseph Osai, the player that had the late hit out of bounds on Patrick Mahomes, and watching yeah. the response from uh, uh, from Pratt, his teammate, the linebacker, who kind of got aired out when that audio of him walking into the locker room being critical 
of Joseph Osai was out there. I saw since he came out and said, I wasn't a good teammate in that moment. He feels badly and he apologized for that. But it's another one of those where it's hard not to put yourself in that position of having seen a teammate go through that or having been on really both sides of that equation. Because for Pratt, part of the comment was this might be his last year because of the contract realities. You saw a lot of guys grappling with their mortality with their current team. Mike McGlinchey, the right tackle for the 49ers, was pretty emotional talking after about, yeah, this is the reality of the game where you don't just get to keep running it back with the same group of guys every year. There is this roster turnover because of those. And you saw a player in the Bengals' case react poorly to that reality because the mistake of a teammate in that moment looked like it had cost them the game. And then later on, cooler heads, you kind of realize like, oh yeah, we all have a hand in how that goes. And this guy's going to have to go through hell, so we better rally around him the way guys like B.J. Hill did to try and protect him from what's going to come at him from outside this locker room. Yeah, that that was great to see, Mike, because at the end of the day, we can fight with family. And I yeah. think there's some reality to that, too. And obviously, there's a little bit of distinction or a difference when it comes to NFL teams. Like, it's more of a co-worker situation. But even with co-workers, Mike, uh, everywhere. Like, you fight with co-workers. You, you can stand firm. You have your opinions. Uh, but it kind of has to be all love at the end of the day because we have to work together and, and, you know, try to get to the same goal. It's a little bit different in the NFL uh, out from the brotherhood that you find in other places in football, but also when it comes to, like you said, the roster's getting changed over. Like he Pratt, Pratt was like, this is my last year here. Like this was my last run with this team that could be quote unquote, big dogs in the AFC to quote Joe Mixon. Like not everyone has to, has an opportunity to run it back. Yeah. And there's a lot of guys who early on in their time in the league, when we talked to Ahmad Bradshaw the other day, guys that come in, and I remember I talked to uh, Ramon Foster about this, who's an offensive lineman for the Steelers for a whole bunch of years, coming in and going deep in the playoffs early in your career and then experiencing a drought on the other side of that. Guys all come to that realization at a different point that, oh, it's really hard to just make the playoffs in that league, let alone Mm -hmm. to get near a Super Bowl, let alone to get near the ultimate prize. So when you got those opportunities, they're hard to come by. But it's so you can understand the rawness of that. It's what happens when you get the cameras that close to going into the locker room like that. I get it was outside the locker room, but anything proximity to that right after the game, like you said, I don't know the relationship that those two guys had on the team. Part of the reaction to these situations is also, too, knowing how your teammate is. Like, if you've got a teammate that you know is the guy that slacks off on details, is the guy that's been missing stuff but so talented they put him out there anyway because you want him out there, and he's the one to mess up, the reaction's a little bit different the reaction might be a little bit more like, man, come on, like this is why we've been on you about this other stuff versus if you know you got a teammate that does all the right stuff and then made a mistake in the moment, we've all been there. We've all been some version of that if you play athletics long enough at any level. And so there is also that difference person to person. It seems like based on the response we've seen by and large, Joseph Osai seems like a guy who's loved by the locker room. But to your point, we shouldn't know that either. That's family business. And if they want to rally around and present a united front to the outside world and say bleep anybody that wants to bleep with our guy – I love that. That's the way it should be. And if there's a different conversation inside that locker room because of the relationships they know and have in there, then so be it. That's for them. Yes, but we also know football uh, positions are siloed, size of the ball 
are siloed. And I, I like to see those the D lineman, the big yeah. brother D lineman coming to, to to you know, that's that's really little brother in that room. You know what I mean? Obviously every rookie has a veteran and that you know, help guide him through things. So it was important to see that other a D lineman was kind of being playing like uh, you know, PR police when the kids are like, all right, come on, bro. Don't ask that question. Come on. What, what, some, 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 give me something next. I mean, it, it was nice to see. It was, it was good to see that the Bengals, this is what Charlotte was talking about. Remember Charlotte came on and talked about how the Bengals and they love each other. They love their teammates. Joe Burrow says he can text anyone on the team to ask what, what they're about to do in the event uh, that they is mandatory. There's something different about them. And maybe that's where all this heartache comes from, too. Yeah, I, I think anytime you care about something and care about the guys in the locker room, and for a lot of the teams that make it this far, you do because you've got strong bonds in that locker room. You do because it matters as much as it does to everybody. So uh, a lot of emotion on display in that game. Uh, certainly was tough to see, but that's a huge part of the game. And it's, again, it's what happens when it matters to you here. Uh, Brandon, switching gears a little bit before we get to the conversation about the Niners with stats. We did have more coaching carousel news going on in the last couple of days. And it's interesting how it all kind of works its way back to the Broncos. Because Mm -hmm. I saw this tweet from Woody Page. And it really underscored the situation that they're in. Woody Page, who is a columnist at the Denver Gazette and has been for a long time, you've seen him on Around the Horn, said D'Amico Ryans tells the Broncos he is not interested. He was their third number one choice. Brandon, are the Broncos down bad worse than any NFL team we've seen lately? Like, the swing from last offseason to this offseason and where the Broncos find themselves in the court of public opinion and clearly in the opinion of the market inside the NFL for resources is as big a one-to-one year, one year-to-year swing as I can remember when you didn't lose a starting or marquee quarterback in the middle of your franchise. It's insane to watch what's happened to them. Yeah, and all the hype that immediately got swept under the rug after Russell Wilson's first first game, really. I mean, he he didn't look great in in his first outing, but for D'Amico Ryan's to to or D'Amico Ryan, I don't like being in the business of being on record saying no to head coaching positions. Uh, it kind of reminds me of when Jamie Foxx won the Oscar for Ray, and he was like, I really don't care about Oscars. And then somebody pulled him aside and was like, hey, Leonardo DiCaprio hasn't won one of these yet, so let's put some respect on this because uh, there's people that like live and die by trying to get one of these, so you just can't be flippant with well, it. Well, I think like, for D'Amico Ryans, it's more – it seems like by all accounts, he's getting ready to accept the head coaching job for the Texans. Every report seems to link him as the favorite sure. for that job. So it may be like in recruiting when you were getting ready to commit to a school, mm. you had other schools recruiting you and you would call up the coach and do them the courtesy of saying, hey, you know, I, I'm going to commit elsewhere. Thank you for everything you've done in this process type thing. Maybe more of a due diligence, but it just underscores D'Amico Ryan's would rather potentially go coach the Texans than your team. Think about all the levels to choosing a job coaching the Houston Texans that have just in back-to-back years completely mismanaged and fired two blackhead coaching candidates. And while they do have draft picks going forward, some young players on that team, it just underscores that, again, 
an organization that at the top, where you should always look to try and take the health and check up on your organization, at the top in the front office has been the place that you can't trust, he would rather go risk it with that roster than come over here and be strapped without draft picks and have to coach Russell Wilson and what remains of that team. That is the reality that the Broncos have created for themselves. Yeah, but you just talked me into why that is his reality because the future is untapped with the Texans and it's pretty locked in with the Broncos with the Walmart money and the Russell Wilson and the Sierra and the the birthday parties like that it may <laughs> the birthday party it may it has a higher ceiling the the Texans simply oh. have a higher ceiling even with all the dysfunction that's happened within the last X amount of years there. They 100% do and if you peel it back even further you play in the AFC South Ooh. Like, and I understand we think the Jags are moving in a really good direction and Mike Vrabel's yeah. always coaching in the Titans, but an infinitely more winnable divisional than the AFC fucking West where you'd be sure. coaching with the Broncos. But again, if we time travel back to this time last year and what the Broncos were supposed to be, the AFC West supposed to be the new Thunderdome in football as far as divisions go. We were talking about could all four teams make the postseason from this division because the Broncos had this offense that was supposed to do what the Bucks did when they plopped. Brady in there oh you've amassed a bunch of weapons you've got a really good defense on the other side we will plop this Super Bowl future Hall of Fame winning quarterback in here and we will prosper and now because you mistimed the calculation on that so badly you are plutonium in the NFL coaching hiring sphere right now like they had their president or whoever flying back out to Michigan to talk to Jim Harbaugh weeks after he had already said yeah I'm happily staying at Michigan or you know you know excited to coach Michigan for the time being this year and beyond whatever the statement was now they still have some dirt in these streets too the Denver Broncos I still haven't forgot when that Brian Flores stuff happened that it was reported that John Elway came a little tipsy to that to that meeting. Oh, the like sham that, the that, sham interviews and things like that. Yeah, I feel like that I feel like that may cut through more within the black head coaching circles. Like some truth is being shared in some in some text message threads that we don't know about. Well, I mean, listen, the, certainly the Texans haven't acquitted themselves on that front for the reason that we've all mentioned. And I didn't realize this until it was pointed out the other day that D'Amico Ryans at one point had actually, his representation had put the Texans as one of the teams being sued when he suffered an Achilles injury playing on, in part, their field while he was a member of the Philadelphia Eagles. And so they ended up for a while as a part of the lawsuit. They ended up not getting implicated in it. But the guy who's more or less sued the team and is still like, yeah, I'll come back and coach here instead of coaching in Denver. I feel like that shows a lack of... Uh... A lack of bravery. He's not afraid of that franchise. And I think that's probably maybe part of knowing you can go do a good job over there. It's like, uh, y'all want y'all want these problems again? Should I call my lawyer again? It's just incredible that now on the other side, Houston would basically at this point, I'd imagine if you asked their brass, hey, we'll guarantee you D'Amico Ryans is your head coach, but you have to come out in public on your hands and knees, lie prostrate in front of the community and beg this man for it. They'd probably do it. Because they're not in a really in a position of power here. D'Amico Ryans has all the juice right now. So if he wanted them to come out and publicly beg, I think that's how badly they want him despite all of that. Does Cal Shanahan feel great like giving the juice to all of these coordinators year in and year out? Like, is, is he the good luck Chuck of head coaches for for these coordinators? Well, I, I mean, obviously, Bill Belichick used to be. Sean McVay kind of had sniffed at it for a quick, but like it seems like Kyle Shanahan is constantly putting people in their forever homes. 
You know what? Uh, that is something that we will talk with stats about here, about what they do next at D coordinator. Kyle Shanahan having a little bit of the Midas touch there. I did want to finish off this coaching conversation, Brandon, though with a quick look at the hire that was made after we talked yesterday because we talked about Kellen Moore being let go the mutual parting of ways with him and the Dallas Cowboys and that conversation that the Chargers asked to have with him very quickly turned into them offering him the job and Kellen Moore being announced as the next offensive coordinator for the Los Angeles Chargers who have parted ways with Joe Lombardi this offseason and Brandon football wise this makes sense, right? We've looked and said, for Kellen Moore, what an opportunity. Dak Prescott's been, we talked about, a very good quarterback, top 10 on his best day. Justin Herbert is infinitely more talented physically, gifts-wise, than Dak Prescott. He's been shattering a lot of those early career records that guys like Andrew Luck held as far as yards and production in an offense that we knew was still largely limiting it based on structure. And so you look at Kellen Moore, uh, a couple of the stats that were pointed out here. The Chargers called design pass on 68% of their plays, the second highest rate in the NFL behind the Bucks this last season. The Cowboys called design pass on 54.6% of plays, the sixth lowest rate in the league. So a lot more balanced, which Austin Eckler fan, fantasy owners, if you aren't already the happiest people on earth, prepare for more of that. But also the Cowboys under Kellen Moore were 11th in their rate of explosive plays, which is either a 10-yard run or a 20-yard pass play, while the Chargers in the last two seasons were ranked 30th in the league in explosive play rate. That's been the thing that's missing. Shots down the field that we want to see this quarterback and those receivers like Keenan Allen and Mike Williams be able to take on a more consistent basis. Yeah, I feel like the. Um, I'm interested in seeing how Kellen Moore elevates with a talent like Justin Herbert. Like I, I, I want to get into the conversations of we don't know who to. We don't know who to give the most credit to because there's been such a jump, and it, it'd be interesting to see Justin Herbert take a jump. Like somebody who a lot of people think is one of the top five court best quarterbacks. A lot of people even closer than that uh, in the NFL. I don't believe the Chargers, and it's a lot of decision-making outside of the quarterback position since Justin Herbert got there that has put them in the position that they're in. But Kellen Moore there? You know what it is, Brandon? It's sort of one of those prove-it seasons now for Justin Herbert in a way. Maybe not prove it as much as it is the Chargers are going to try and start to do and have been what we've talked about a lot of good franchises with hot top quarterback picks do. We're going to start to make sure that we take away any reason that there might have been for your lack of high-end production or our team's lack of high-end production in the ways that we wanted to. So you've drafted offensive linemen with high-end draft capital in the last couple of seasons. You obviously have the two monster receivers and when healthy, the defense has a lot of really good guys there. But now the next step is everyone's been critical of your offensive coordinator saying schematically you're not pushing the ball downfield enough. So now we're going to try and add that from an offense that we saw when they had their quarterback healthy was one of the most explosive and productive in the league. Yes, but I think this year is actually the put-up, shut-up year for Brandon Staley. Which yeah, it puts that's probably the reality. More Right, like puts Kellen Moore in an interesting position because if he's he's fighting for somebody else's job and his own reputation, uh, the the Chargers are like we've said in a division that they're not expected to win. They're like the Vanderbilt and SEC or Kentucky and the SEC, like they're not expected to be the top of that division while Patrick Mahomes is still doing what he's doing. And you expect that, you know, the Denver Broncos could possibly get it right at some point in time. And the Vegas Raiders are going to get Tom Brady. Like, I don't think that. 
the Chargers are any position to have to win now. Oh, I but I, I, I disagree. They might I be done. Entirely. They might be. Well, I think they're 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 at their wits end with Brandon Staley at this point, though. I think the expectation is they should be the second best team in the AFC West. Period. The Raiders are in transition. The Broncos are a team that we talked about. Nobody wants to coach right now. The Los Angeles Chargers should absolutely be the second best team in that division. And to your point, Brandon Staley, who had people calling for his head this year, I thought wrongly so. I think this was the right course of action. But now next season, if that run defense doesn't get shored up, if that ends up being an Achilles heel and the offense does take a move forward, I'm sure then you're going to have a situation where you have people looking at Brandon Staley calling for his job. And then Kellen Moore, if you're thinking about him in career advancement, we talked about the other day, you'd be very close to that interim job. And if things were going well with that offense, now you've mm. put yourself in a position to tech next be the next guy. So I can understand for a litany of reasons why Kellen Moore made the move he did. That being said, I think one of the more underrated parts of this is something that I found out based off the Chargers social media post introducing this. Because the Chargers, when they announced this news, posted a picture of Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert in this picture was reading from a book. And I'm pulling it up right now so I make sure I get the title of this book right because it's very important. So they posted a picture of Justin Herbert reading a book. Justin Herbert, Spokesmaster's Rookie, and he was reading a book called The Art of More. And it was written by Kellen Moore on the cover of that book. I didn't realize these guys had been part of an advertisement together for a group called Kendall Automotive. Um, Now, it's, I think, an Idaho-based group or like advertisement in that sort of region. But essentially, it was Kellen Moore training uh, him and Leighton, uh, Justin Herbert and Leighton Vanderhesh to be the spokespeople for this auto group. And so you've got coach and, uh, coach and player that have already worked together in this capacity. And based on these ads, Brandon, pretty good chemistry. Like, neither is the most dynamic personality, but they play off each other really well. It looked at for once in a while like it was kind of uncomfortable for Leighton Vander Esch to be in the same room with those guys, despite the fact that him really? and Kellen Moore look like distant relatives. Interesting. A little third wheel action. Okay. Okay. I'm listen, I love a good bromance and I and I love people getting it right and you know, the the Josh McDaniels and and uh Tom Brady and their relationship. Like I I'm here for it. But I don't believe it because the Chargers are a cursed franchise. That is what he's going to have to overcome. But they are giving themselves a good chance by having a coach work with his quarterback in a very public advertisement. Because Brandon, as we know, and we saw a lot of the people that were conspiracy theorists about the refereeing in the AFC Championship game, were pointing out that the Super Bowl is being played at State Farm Stadium in Glendale, Arizona. And you've got Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, who are the stars of the State Farm ad series, where Andy Reid's drawn on everybody's faces. I don't subscribe to that theory, but it does underscore that success at a high level can often be tied to making sure you've got that cohesion on and off the field. See, it does it does make me think though. What other coaching like quarterback combinations or coaching player conversations I'd like to see in advertisements? Like the fact that we missed out on Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray being the center of a Call of Duty ad campaign feels like malpractice from everybody involved. Yes, yes, I absolutely, and like some type of reference to homework. Yes, that yeah. Missed opportunity for sure. Right. Like the ad was all there if everybody could sing Kumbaya. Clearly that relationship wasn't in a great place because Cliff doesn't work there anymore. But like Kyle Shanahan would be the perfect spokesperson for that Safe Flight windshield repair company 
that will just come there and automatically on the fly replace safe flight repair, safe flight replace. Like you could just okay. have him and all his quarterbacks there in the safe flight commercial. They'd be the perfect ad spokesman for that. Okay, okay, I'm, I'm seeing where you're going. I'm seeing where you're going, and now my mind is jumping around. So I, I thought of a couple other ones here. I was looking at a lot of the playoff teams. Now, Kevin O'Connell and Kirk Cousins seem like they'd be coming to hand you pamphlets to talk about their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That does seem like their general tenor. Um, yeah, or yeah, some type of vaccine, your body, your choice conversation. But yeah, continue. Yeah, a, plant ba- a plant-based vaccine. Um <laughs> I also looked at Nick Sirianni and Jason Kelsey feel like they would be great uh, for fans of this is probably more of a niche reference, but the Tim Robbins, I think you should leave sketch of Dan flashes the clothing store that sells the wild print shirts and can charge money because the patterns are so wild and chaotic. That seems like they would be perfect. And that's mostly because I think Nick Sirianni does look like if Tim Robbins did a sketch about coaching football, he would be playing Nick Sirianni. That, that, that is true, and that's fair. But you may be thinking about the other Kelsey brother uh, when it comes to flashy shirts. I know I know Jason likes his graphic tees. Um, I, I think I was thinking about Mike Tomlin and Kenny Pickett. You know, like what, what, what would they, they sell together? I was thinking maybe ponchos because, you know, they, they just not used to weathering the storm and, and just kind of getting oh, through interesting. it. Oh, interesting. You know, maybe, <laughs> maybe having faith. Something about the little prayer hands. Well, I was going to say to that point, too, it could be like a construction company. Like they could be contractors because they just put on their hard hats, come to work, and they find a way. Hey, Pittsburgh, known for bridges. See? Okay. That's what I I mean. Real lunch pail guys in that spot. Completely opposite end of that one. I could see Brian Dable and Kayvon Thibodeau as the spokespeople for a limousine company where all the limos have hot tubs in the back. Yeah, okay. Because, like, yes. you can't put Absolutely. Brian Dable in the same commercial with Daniel Jones. Brian Dable's big, fiery Daniel Jones, calm, collected. Like, Brian Dable and Kayvon Thibodeau, to me, have more similar energy than Daniel Jones and him do. Yes, yes. I, I mean, they're like New York quintessential. They're, they're, they're talkers. They're flashy. They, they don't speak when you, when you expect them to speak. They speak when you're not expecting them to speak. Um, I want to go back to Miami, though. Miami Dolphins, Mike McDaniel, and Tua Tungavaloa. I think those guys can get in front of some a, a really good sweatpants company. I know we talk about rich people sweatpants yep. on this podcast. You've seen Tua go, go to the stadium, look like he's coming. I said he looks like he got picked up from a sleepover uh, while <laughs> other people are trying to flex and shit like that. Like very low key. Which, Him and Mike McDaniel could swear some sweat, could sell some sweatpants. I would love to see them have a line of sweatpants that are sold at one of those like. Because, you know, like, no store in the mall is that nice. Like, I get that there's yes. some of those, like, high, but in general, like, the malls that most of us grew up going to, like, there's some nice-ish stores. I feel like you could see a, a, a thing at the mall that's got a picture of Mike McDaniel and Tua modeling this new line of them for, like, uh, I'm trying to... Fabletics. <laughs> Fabletics. It would It would have been, like, Abercrombie and Fitch back in the day. Um... Oh yeah, something like, a like Hollister that. sweatpants. Yeah, something along those lines. There, like especially Lululemon would be lucky to have them. Oh, see, you know what? That's it. It probably would. It probably would have to be like Lululemon or Athletica or something like that. That seems right up their yeah. alley. Because again, it's going to cost you a little bit of money, but it's going to look clean. It's going to look nice. And with these guys, you know, they they got it like that. 
What's that uh, fashion brand that all the like rapper female rappers are, are selling on on Shade Room uh, that Cardi B does? Uh, oh God, I, I got I'm I feel so off the internet. Oh, by Fashion not Nova, Fashion Nova. Yes, there we go. Go, oh, baby. Mike McDaniel and Tua Tungavailoa with a line of Fashion Nova sweatpants. Yes. I mean. Book it. At Gojo Show ooh. on Twitter, if you've got a coach and player advertising idea that you want to throw our way here, get at us, or as always, leave us a five-star rating and a review with that in there, and we'll put it towards the top of the pile. We are going to step aside, uh, take a quick break, and when we come back, Rob Guerrera, stats, my guy, uh, 49ers podcaster, going to talk to us about the decisions they have to make at quarterback and a number of other important uh, positions coming up this offseason. I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know, it's got a really awesome stag logo. What what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. All right, we got lots of 49ers in the news coming off this weekend. And I saw one man on Twitter fighting the good fight in defense of those 49ers here. Rob Guerrera, uh, I know him as stats back from our ESPN days. Uh, you guys know him, the 49ers Gold, Stand- Gold Standard Podcast Network, the Patreon, a great source for 49ers news here. Uh, stats, how you doing, man? I've been better, Mike. Not going to lie. You know what? I can understand that here. Do you start to feel like the franchise is cursed at some point? I know you guys aren't as bad as maybe the Chargers, but this is feeling a little cursy. It's a weird curse because they've been in six of the last 12 NFC championship games. But at the same time, you can't help but feel like some force out there, the football gods, destiny, fate is just has its heart set on denying the 49ers a Super Bowl championship. Yeah, and in dramatic fashion, again, an injury at the quarterback position. I've heard Kyle Shanahan now described as Sisyphus pushing his boulder up the hill without a quarterback for all of eternity in the NFL. But coming off this weekend, Brock Purdy gets hurt in the game. We find out now that it is a tear in his UCL, that uh, ulnar collateral ligament, the Tommy John ligament up there that people talked about with Josh Allen. So, when you heard that, knowing what looms this offseason as far as decision for the 49ers quarterback room, what was your first thought? My first thought was, here comes Tom Brady, because I just don't think that Kyle Shanahan can go into another season just hoping, right? Hope is not a strategy. You know, uh, I really do think that he went all out to get Matthew Stafford. 
he that was really plan number one. And when that didn't happen, I think that he and the Niners brain trust just said, we have to do something. And then lo and behold, they move up to number three. They ultimately take Trey Lance. I think they're in a similar position now. I don't know how if you're Kyle Shanahan, you can go into next year and say, I hope that Brock Purdy is healthy. I hope that my other 23-year-old quarterback is healthy coming off a major ankle injury that required two surgeries in the offseason. I just don't know that that's your best path going forward. And we know Brady's out there. And unlike Aaron Rodgers, you don't have to give up anything to get him. You just have to pay him. And if both sides are willing, they'll find a way to finagle that one. And how does that work? Because I think a lot of the reason people bring up Rodgers is certainly there's always been this thought of style-wise, fit-wise, running the things that Shanahan does, having the mobility that Aaron Rodgers does. How does all that work and what we've seen from a Kyle Shanahan 49ers offense potentially with a guy like Tom Brady who we saw this season, not one for contact, certainly not one for moving around if he ever was. Yeah, I'm interested to see how those kind of styles blend. Also, Kyle likes to control his quarterbacks like you're playing Madden on Xbox. And Tom Brady likes to have a lot of control himself. So I don't know necessarily if that union is going to match up. But I think that both sides are at a spot where they say, look, we need each other, right? If we're, if we're going to make one run at this thing, we have to be able to find a way to work together. But you're right. The 49ers offensive line is is shaky at times at pass protection. And Tom Brady less and less can stand in there and take contact. So I don't say it's like automatic Super Bowl favorite if Tom Brady goes there, but you certainly feel better than you would if it was just Brock Purdy or just Trey Lance. Is there any part of this season, because so much of this focus is going to be on the quarterback, and as great as he even was, is there any part of the trade for Christian McCaffrey where there's a little bit of buyer's remorse now, knowing what you gave up and understanding that you still fell short because of the position that we always said was going to be at the heart of whatever the 49ers ceiling ended up being? I don't think so, because he totally transformed that offense. They went from scoring 22 points a game before he got there to scoring 30 points a game after he got there. There were so many drives where you would look, even uh, Sunday in the game, their only touchdown drive was 46 yards. I believe Christian McCaffrey had 43 of them. So he's literally carried the offense on his back. I think it's nine, eight or nine straight games with a touchdown. No 49ers ever done that since Terrell Owens in 1998. He completely transformed the team, and they don't get to where they were without Christian McCaffrey. So I have no buyer's remorse. I would do that trade again right now, knowing everything that we know. So, and I agree with you on that one. I think I just remember going back to the price tag and seeing what they gave up. But you're right, overwhelmingly couldn't have worked out better. This 49ers roster was lauded as one of the best top to bottom in the NFL outside of the quarterback position. And you mentioned some of the areas where there might be looking for improvement. I know Mike McGlinchey, who you and I talked about uh, before the season and on occasion, former Notre Damer is a guy who is talking about potentially the end of his 49ers tenure. He was pretty emotional addressing that after the game. What are some of the other areas on this roster that are going to have the rubber meet the road coming up this offseason they've got to reckon with? There are a lot of big name guys on this team that are potentially free agents. McGlinchey is one. Aziz Alshire, their linebacker, is another. Jimmy Ward, who was their starting safety, became their starting nickelback this year, is definitely going to be on a new team next year. Jawan Jennings, their third down specialist at receiver, going to be a free agent. It is going to look a lot different in San Francisco, and I think that's why Kyle Shanahan is aging like a president. 
because he knows the sand is falling out of that hourglass and you only get so many bites at this thing. Yeah, Kyle Shanahan, I, I do really feel for on that front. What would you say outside of quarterback is the biggest priority then for them this offseason? If you're talking about trying to do in some way, shape, or form what we've seen the Kansas City Chiefs do in adjusting their roster when guys came up for payday, certainly what this Eagles team that's heading to the Super Bowl has done over the last handful of years as well, what would be the priority as far as trying to maintain as much of the core as you can around the quarterback spot? It's going to sound weird to say this because they've invested so many resources there already, but I think it's going to be the defensive line. Samson Abukam is going to be a free agent. He was supposed to be the big guy opposite Nick Bosa that was supposed to rush the passer. That didn't work out. He never had more than four and a half sacks in a single season. They have Drake Jackson there, but he was inactive down the stretch for, I think, four out of the last five games. So maybe he could be a contributor. We don't know. But there's a question mark there. Javon Kinlaw got just absolutely thrown out of the club all day on Sunday. It was a whooping. There are questions there, not only with ability, but also durability with him. So I think they need to firm up the interior of that defensive line and also figure out if Drake Jackson's going to be the guy or if they need to go get somebody because you can't have Bosa have to do it all. He had 18 and a half sacks, which was great. Next on the team was Ebukam, I believe, with four and a half. You need more balance there. So balance there and bracing to absorb the loss. We expect any day now the news of D'Amico Ryan's defensive coordinator, one of the hottest head coaching names on the market right now. And we know he was the coordinator elevated last time when Rob Sala left to go take the Jets job. So how do you see the 49ers filling that void of a guy who has quickly become, I think, one of the most lauded names in the NFL of any coach? The thought before the year was that Vic Fangio was just sort of waiting for that job to open up. He and John Lynch were seen golfing in the offseason together. He stopped by 49ers training camp practice randomly one day in the preseason. And that was sort of like the worst kept secret. But now there was a report that Vic Fangio is going to Miami. A couple Niners beat writers have refuted that. So maybe that's up in the air. I don't have any other possible names for you when it comes to defensive coordinator, but I will say this. I have complete faith in Kyle Shanahan to find one because if you understand how Kyle came up in coaching, he came up in the defensive rooms with Monty Kiffin in Tampa Bay and Mike Tomlin. He came up learning defense. He knows that side of the ball. So I just have confidence in him because of that sort of upbringing that he'll be able to find someone. And remember, no one thought D'Amico Ryans was ready to be a defensive coordinator, let alone a head coach. And Kyle called it as soon as he promoted D'Amico. He said, not only do I think he's going to be a good DC, I think he's going to be a good head coach. So Kyle seems to have an eye for talent, but you're right. That's going to be a big job. Massive job, but like you said, to have that understanding, this organization seems healthy in so many ways, and I think that's why the quarterback question and that problem in that room is so difficult. I do want to circle back to that. We talked about the potential for going out and getting a free agent, the potential to try and bring somebody else in because of this desperation. If that didn't happen, and now all of a sudden you're walking into next year, assuming finally, maybe, I feel like it's probably wrong to assume that Jimmy Garoppolo will ever leave because it just seems like he is destined to be tied to that franchise forever. But if he does and you end up with Trey Lance and Brock Purdy once he recovers from this, how would you like to see the organization handle those two if they were the ones walking back in when it comes time for OTAs and training camp? Brock Great job. Thank you for everything. We really appreciate it. Now go sit down on the bench. We're giving the ball to Trey Lance. And I know 
that that people seem to think that he was Tim Tebow back there in his three plus starts. He really wasn't, I promise you. But look, you traded all these picks to get this guy for a reason. You believed in him for some reason. You have to give him the keys and let him drive the car. They haven't even let him back out of the driveway yet, Mike. I I have to know. I, if he stinks, he stinks. But I have to know. I cannot live knowing that we potentially could have had the quarterback and then just never let him try. I think especially, stats seeing what's gone on in Philadelphia, and I saw a lot of people draw a comparison to the way that the Eagles were able to build this incredible rushing attack around Jalen Hurts. That was always the sort of fantasy with Kyle Shanahan and his offense mm-hmm. that you've had for so long this incredibly dynamic running game that's never really been able to utilize the quarterback in the way that Trey was drafted to do. I completely agree. And I think if you gave the Niners truth serum, what they would tell you is we wanted to be the Eagles. Like that is exactly the the formula that we wanted to have and maybe, you know, can do a couple other things because of Debo and Christian McCaffrey and some of the flexibility that they allow. But I think that's exactly what they were envisioning because I think that Kyle knows his system is too common now around the NFL. His coaches are scattered everywhere. Defenses have seen it. They've seen a lot of it. In a lot of cases, they're practicing against it every day. And so you have to evolve in some way. You cannot keep doing the same thing. And I think Kyle's plan was that evolution was going to come with the addition of Trey Lance and that dynamic that he brought to the offense. Now, obviously, it couldn't happen this year, but I hope that that's still the plan because I do agree with that thought. You cannot just do the same thing year after year. Yeah, I think it's a great point about that coaching tree, too, is that's what we saw McVay do in Los Angeles. It was, hey, we had gotten to a Super Bowl with Jared Goff and the way that we were running, and it needed an upgrade. It needed Matthew Stafford to come in and needed to allow them, in their case, to do more you know, four and five wide, to do more straight drop back work there. But these co- guys in this coaching tree and that ability to find that next gear has sort of been the defining characteristic. So going to be fascinated to watch if Shanny can pull it off. Going to be fascinated to watch who shows up healthy at OTAs this year in that quarterback room and in some of those pivotal spots on the roster. Uh, stats, we appreciate the time. We know it was not the result that you and Niner Faithful were looking for this weekend, but uh, I'm sure you'll have plenty to talk about if this is any indication all offseason. It never sleeps. 49ers news just never stops it's incredible thanks dads appreciate the time brother anytime mike thank you the nba playoffs are heating up and so is the action on DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nba with same game parlays live betting odds boosts and so much more don't miss out as the nba postseason winds down and now that the boston celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the miami heat Boston fans, we feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now. And if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code Gojo. That's code Gojo for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
Brandon Newman, I ask, do you know what time it is? Took so long. Yes, of course I do, Mike. And I was thinking about the Eagles still. You know, fly, Eagles, fly. You know, it took me, took me back to Sugar Ray. Sugar Ray Leonard ain't doing this to me right now, okay? The ray I got through me. Okay, ready? All around the world, statues crumble for me. Who knows how long I loved you? Everywhere I go, people stop and they say, 32 years old, my ravens got arrested, so. This, that, and the third. Put your arms around me, baby. Put your arms around me, baby. This, that, and the third. Put your arms around me, baby. Put your arms around me, baby. This, that, and the third. Did you call them Sugar Ray Leonard when you introduced them? <laughs> Oh, sweet Jesus. If you enjoyed that choral and vocal expertise from Brandon Newman, make sure, as always, you download, subscribe, rate, and review Gojo wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and a review and tell him what a fantastic job he's done on This, That, and the Third. As we get to, Brandon, three quick stories to finish off the day on for This, That, and the Third. Wanted to start off, and as always, we make the note. Spoiler alert. Brandon and I have started watching The Last of Us on HBO. It has almost single-handedly reignited appointment viewing, especially on Sunday nights. Um, And we are caught up on episode three. So if you have not caught up to that point, if you have not started watching the series yet, if this doesn't interest you, spoiler alert right here, move yourself on here in the podcast and go to the next part of this, that, and the third. But Brandon, episode three might end up becoming one of the best episodes of television I have watched all season long. Um, According to the directors, the showrunners on this one, this was a bit of a departure from the video game that's the basis for this series. The characters of Bill and Frank were in the series, but in there, one of them had already died. They played a very different role in the entire process. And so in this episode, we got to explore the relationship between two characters that aren't necessarily tied into the main adventure with Joel and Ellie, played by Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey. And it was one of the most moving television episodes, pieces of film that I have ever seen. And the fact that they were able to create a love story between these two men in the middle of a larger show's narrative where we're going to go yeah. on and have the show be about a million other things and to do it inside an hour and 22 minute episode was one of the more impressive feats that we have seen. Um, Nick Offerman plays the role of Bill. Frank is played by Murray Bartlett, who just came off of white Lotus season one playing Armand in that yes. show. And they were Brandon incredible to me. What did you think of this episode? Were you as moved as I was? Because I spent a lot of time at the end of this episode, like ugly crying (laughs) Mike I saw a lot of people saying that they cried during this episode the director if you spent that 15 minutes waiting for them to talk about the episode after the episode what uh, you need to do by the way like if you're not sticking around and watching the bonus content are you even HBOing 
hey, talk to your dad because I believe he he admitted that he did not he does not stick around for that kind of like what are you doing then? Um, but yes, Mike, he said he watched the episode two hundred times and he's cried every time watching it. And I was like, I don't, I didn't, I was confused at when people were crying. Like during the episode, I, if I can be honest with you, the one time that I was probably got emotional was when, a spoiler alert, um, they made they were able to grow some strawberries and taste them for the first time. Yeah, like, <laughs> that it was, was adorable. That was some pretty. That was some pretty moving. Uh, that was a pretty moving to me as someone who loves strawberries. I was like, oh, I can just taste those things. So you were moved by the taste of strawberries and not someone choosing to end their life on their own terms, the Romeo and Juliet style love in which they way they take themselves out at the end. The notions that were brought up during this, like Nick Offerman offering up, I was never afraid until I found you because even in the middle of all the chaos of the post-apocalyptic world, they were able to create a life with each other and grow love in the middle of all that like none of that moved you listen it was beautiful it, it's great to see some character arc like uh jammed into one episode for this show that is very very scary when it comes to the mushrooms that are dealing in, in taking over people's brains and bodies it was nice to have enemies that weren't infected in this episode uh against spoiler alert but for me mike i've ever since this is us became a very popular show on television i was like writers are have steroids in their scripts by being able to jump around timelines like it's it's just simple as that like it's more intriguing when you are able to see something built up and then slowly piece up how uh that story has got there but this one mike was kind of wrapped up all into one and that's why it was so perfect like a little mini series within it um yes i was obsessed with the love i was more obsessed with Nick Offerman's character just being the same character from Parks' Rec, just if he was living in that apocalypse in that town, starting a generator, making a fence, like just everything, the woods, the craftsmanship that we saw from Juan Swanson bleeding through this character, pairing wine with a good steak that he killed himself, like, or, you know, the, all oh, of it. Him, all of him it was redoing just, that whole house was him redoing the seventh floor in the Parks and Rec building in that series. Like, it was all there. He has arrived at that magical place place in cinema where you get to just play the same version of a character in a bunch of different roles because you're right like survivalist libertarian whatever you want to call what he is in all of those it's the same sort of idea but he does it incredibly well and the two of them played really well off of each other like brandon this episode started with bill being caught or uh, frank being caught in a literal thirst trap he fell into a trap because he was thirsty, looking for resources in the middle of this apocalypse. He was literally thirst trapped. Oh, man. Like, okay. That's incredible. Yeah, I, I'll say I almost cried. By the way, I had to mention that he brought St. Elmo's. Uh, Ron Swanson brought St. Elmo's to his dining room, which is a beautiful uh, through line from Parks and Rec. Um, I thought it was so beautiful how before, before they became intimate, and before like there was that step in their relationship, he said very clearly, I am not a whore. So if I have sex with you, I will be staying for another few days. And then we get that jump three years later and they're arguing like an old, old married couple. I loved every second of that as someone well, who has been with my wife 
for we, I think we got married on our 10 year dating anniversary. So like I just I love the the just arguing over nothing and being so serious. And she at the, he said, I'm just going to jump into one of those traps. I'm going to I'm going to throw myself into one of your electrocuted fences if you don't let me redo the boutique. And to me, that's really where the rubber meets the road and why this episode was so great. Because as someone, I like a lot of post-apocalyptic thrillers, movies, series, zombie flicks, whatever it is. I really love that. And the really good ones almost always end up doing this. You use that as a vessel to tell really human stories. Because Mm -hmm. in the context that you've built up in a world where you've got this massive world-altering event going on, what we saw was people reach for things that felt normal. For Nick Offerman, who had been trained by years of being alone to be skeptical of humanity, he let somebody in because the thing we always talked about, community, reaching out for other people, having someone else to take care of. And then it devolves into the things that we talked about with Frank, like you said, searching for something that's normal. It wasn't for the friends that they were going to make as Jill and uh, as uh, Joel and that group were introduced. It was to just feel like things were okay. And they were able to create a pocket of that. And you kind of extrapolate that to real life. And that's all people are trying to do, right? Create their own little pocket of meaning in a world that yes. feels largely chaotic. This one just happens to be full of mushroom zombies that kind of represent that. Mike, and and I feel like if... Okay, spoiler at the end of this episode. We've already said spoiler Joe, alert all the time. You can say spoilers now. You're good. Okay, spoiler alert. Uh, Joe gets a truck at the end of this episode, right? And it's such a resource based on what we've seen them fight to, to, to get at this point in time. It would make sense. Like this entire world, like that entire hour plus life had to be uh, just really pushed all the way home for us to recognize just how like for him to get a gift like this like this was a, this wasn't just Joel stumbling across the town like 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 trying a car out like this was gifted to him because of the relationship that he had built with these people over time which I thought was pretty special and it's something I'm going to go back to once as I see them continue to uh, to drive around and head to where they're going Vermont at this point or Wyoming um, Mont- Mont- yeah Wyoming or Montana one of those uh, yeah, big yeah. square states in the middle but it is a good point what the series has done well so far is things feel earned at this point and to be able to yes. say that three episodes into a series is pretty damn impressive so um again nick offerman and murray bartlett incredible performance between the two of them and that Spoiler. on-screen romance life's better with american family insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind save up to 25 percent by bundling home auto and life american family insurance get a quote find an agent at amfam.com Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Let's get to that, Brandon. Um, (laughs) That is Kayvon Thibodeau at war with the NFL internet. Um, Kayvon Thibodeau. Uh, Giants star defensive end out of Oregon who really as the season went along came on really well was a part of a team that ended up getting eliminated by um, uh, in the postseason uh, by the Eagles but was watching the Eagles Niners game and tweeted out the way this the way this game looked we might be better than the 49ers 
Uh, there were a number of people that took umbrage from that. San, uh, San Francisco DN Eric Armstead responded and said, don't do that, bro. I watch y'all's film. But then the real <laughs> crux of this was um, Joe Staley, the former Niners offensive tackle, tweeted, you're a flash player who gets bodied by average tackles. Don't let the New York media affect you too much. First off, that's incredibly Ooh. mean in incredibly few characters. Yeah. Yeah, and and very it's mean because it's so specific. Like only someone like Kayvon Thibodeau could be offended by that from the messenger, and also just saying a flash player and getting bodied by because we've seen that as a rookie. But you expect rookies, you expect that to happen to rookies. Like we've seen Aiden Hutchinson get bodied by I don't know what level of talent uh, the the offensive linemen have have been, but we've seen them from rookie moments. We, we have, but like as Michael Stray, Michael Strahan came to his defense and said that, you know, I was an old guy when Joe was a rookie and I got two and a half sacks on him when we played there. Basically said like, leave our rookie alone type thing. And I guess that's the, the end result in this is arguing with Kayvon Thibodeau seems like arguing with quicksand because he just does the thing. His response to almost anyone that's been critical of him online is, I don't know who you are. Remember he did that with Jeff Saturday yes. when there was the criticism yes. of him doing snow angels next to Nick Foles. And he's like, I don't know who that guy is. And he said the same thing to Joe Staley. He was like, who are you? And yeah, I just well, feel like one, is that a good reply? Like, I don't feel like it's inherently clever. It's more annoying than it is effective. Well, it is effective, but to me, it's more annoying than it is clever, right? It is, Mike, but as someone who has a two-year-old going on three-year-old, sometimes it's the most simple shit that really can stick in your craw and drive you nuts. Like, my son just got into the Carter, just realized that he can just say why after everything yes. and just get an answer. And it'll... It, it'll, it'll, it'll it, it pisses me off. Okay. So I can see the effectiveness of just like, no matter who says what, who are you? It's, it's just like, it's a, it's a nice trump card for, especially for someone who is making a name for itself in the end of like, if you think of yourself as somebody and anyone says anything to you, it's, it's kind of a, it's like a mean girl's comeback. Cause like, it's going to work. Well, and Kayvon is incredibly online. And again, this is the difficulty of arguing with young people online. You're walking into their dojo. Like, yeah. we may have yeah. moved into this house. They grew up in this house. Like, you yeah. moved into this in the middle of your life, as did we on Twitter. These kids were born in this shit molded by it and so when you have people like eric armstead who said that Kayvon's response was you're watching the super bowl at home just like i am but then said but you balled out bro like great season he does the yeah, same thing yeah. that every internet commenter does which is when pressed ultimately ends up then going to kindness and talking about this he did it with micah parsons micah he said something slick like that micah parsons called him out and he asked him what country are you in and micah said i'm in america getting ready for the pro bowl what about you and then he went to the congratulations he said, hey, catch a cold. I'm an alternate for the Pro Bowl type thing. Said, I'm going to be there supporting you. So it's the constant bit of online jujitsu that Kayvon Thibodeau and his peers are masters of, which is why it's just not worth talking to them on the internet. But, Mike, I like this version versus the Juju Smith-Schusters of the world who was doing, basically talking with his TikTok dance moves which I did not like and I wasn't a huge fan of. Like, I prefer the cowardice, 
oh, he actually spoke to me. Let me shout him out because I like him. The type of energy versus like, I'm going to dig deeper by doing more TikTok dances until I get traded. See, I disagree. I think in modern social media, doing it on TikTok, TikTok is letting your pads do the talking. Okay. I, I can't. Yes, I agree. And that's such a great point. But it was ruined by you saying Tic Tac because it's the oldest shit you possibly I know. said. I, I was so pissed. I tripped over the finish line and now I'm going to get roasted. I don't know if Gen Z listens to podcasts or not. So if you do, leave me alone. I'm sorry for my transgressions. Let's get to the third and talk about some of the way bigger problems than me on TikTok, Brandon. The Dallas Zoo keeps losing animals. They're not good at being a zoo. Um, The most recent news out of this comes in the form of the Dallas Zoo discovering Monday that two primates were missing from their habitat. It was two emperor tamarind monkeys who, if you see them, look like monkeys that have an old man Fu Manchu. They've got dark fur Mm. and then they've got a long white mustache and they are adorable. And first off, let me say to whoever was a part of this because they are looking at this and search the habitat and were not able to locate them and believe that they were, you know, maybe suspicious things that had been cut open in the enclosure by someone that allowed them to escape. If you are attempting to harm these adorable little monkeys, we will all Liam Neeson style hunt you down because they are far too cute to be harmed by you. But second off for the Dallas zoo, this is now a string of very concerning developments, Brandon. So back on January 21st, An endangered vulture was found dead with a, quote, suspicious wound that is still under investigation. And January 13th, there was an investigation by the police into fencing that apparently had been intentionally cut at the habitats for the clouded leopards and the langur monkeys. One of the clouded leopards escaped on Friday, that Friday, January 13th, and was eventually found in the zoo. Has this zoo made a very dangerous enemy? Because this feels like too many things in a row to be an accident. Yeah, this is like reminds me of uh, when you were watching Breaking Bad at one point in time, you're like, okay, how is he still getting away with this? Like this activity, you can't, how can you, how can you account for this by just saying he's, he's up to something nefarious? Someone owes someone who's very important to the Dallas Zoo and these animals are being taken. These animals are being held hostage for ransom. Hopefully it's some, uh, like, you know, off brand. There's plenty of like weird exotic, uh, petting zoos in, in Florida or in Texas and Oklahoma, all those places. I feel like you need to start there. The FBI needs to go look at those backyard exotic animal exhibits and, and see where the paperwork at. See, this is this is like the Tiger Kingification of normal zoos. Because when yes. we think of normal zoos, we think of them kind of being above that fray of chaotic behavior and antagonistic mm-hmm. behavior between rival like animal uh, sanctuaries or whatever they were called in the um, Tiger King. That's what it is. Yeah, animal animal sanctuaries. Yeah, I, I mean, but they. A- it looks like it looks like they said they're stolen. They were stolen. People wanted these monkeys. They let them out. They took them. Uh, we should be more concerned with the workers at this zoo because shit's wild. Yeah, I mean, you you come around the corner, you're going to feed uh, baby uh, Dumbo, and then you can run to a stampede. You know what I mean? On some on some uh, well, sc- on some Mufasa shit. My so. my whole thought is, I think movies have given us a false sense because in so many movies, you see the animals end up like Toy Storying the situation where they're able to rise up and defend their zoo against intruders. Yes. Like, not nah, they're chilling. 
Like you have taken them out of the wild. So they're on vacation now forever. And they're not just going to sit here and put on for their city. We got to up zoo security down here in Dallas. They have lost the ability to go out here and defend themselves. So you're not going to call in the national guard or somebody to protect these damn animals. This is actually a connection to yesterday's this, that, and the third, and specifically the third with Matt Damon. Have you ever seen We Bought a Zoo? Hell yes. That movie was awesome. I have not because I couldn't. But that was the other thing. That's Matt Damon. That was like based on a true story. So Matt Damon doing some reenacting. How was that? You said it was pretty good? It was pretty good, but now I'm wondering, like, Dallas, was this a We Bought a Zoo situation where maybe you bit off a little more than you can chew because you're a dad trying to buy back the affection of your son? <laughs> Dallas thought your Dallas kid trying to buy back the affection of 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 their of their residents. I can I can see that happening. Oh yeah, lock in Dallas Zoo. Figure it out. We hope you uh, figured it out somewhere along the way during this podcast. If you did, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review Gojo wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five star rating and a review, and make sure you check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel as well under the Gojo with Michael Lick Jr. tab. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Boom. Money in the bank. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.